right, well, good morning again. Uh, does anyone remember where we left off last time in our study in Matthew? It's Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we'll be looking today at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And really, this is a two-part series uh, on prayer. Uh, we'll be focusing this week on how not to pray, and in two weeks from now, we'll look at how to pray and the example that Jesus has given us on how uh, we should pray. So let's look at our passage this morning, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. It says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. <clears throat> How many of you remember the first time that you drove a car? Do you remember the memory of first testing out and, and first going for that uh, initial Experience. I remember for me, I was about 17 years old. I had just gotten my permit. Uh, I was supposed to meet with a driving instructor, but before we did that, uh, my dad asked me one night, hey, do you want to just do a little practice run in the parking lot? And kind of took me to this empty uh, shopping center, and we got there, <clears throat> we parked, he switched seats with me, and then says, okay, before you put your foot on the gas pedal, I have some things we have to go over. And it's a list, and I'm sure you've probably even heard them yourselves, but it's a list of don'ts, or how not to's, of driving. And he said, don't uh, put the car in reverse without first looking at your rearview mirror, looking at the side mirror, looking over your shoulder, making sure there's no one coming, you don't want to hit them. Uh, he said, don't be texting on your phone and, and picking up phone calls and switching on the radio. This is a loaded weapon. You could hit somebody, you could kill someone, and you know that could be your life for the next so many years in jail because of killing someone. He said, don't cross an intersection without first scanning and making sure that there's no one going through it who didn't happen to run a red light because people do that. So make sure you look both ways, even when it's a green light, so that you don't get in an accident. He said, don't act like the road's your own. You have one lane here, but you don't own that road. There's other people, be courteous of them. Let them merge, let them come in. He said, you know, uh, don't switch lanes without first putting on your, your blinker. Let people know where you're going to go. And he said, you know, don't go over the speed limit. You have it there for a reason. If you go over it, you're going to get a ticket. You'll end up having higher insurance. And all these things he gave me as list of don'ts or how not to drive uh, before I could even start and even begin driving. And I'm sure you probably had something similar to that uh, before you began driving as well. And looking back on it, I felt like, wow, that's a lot of rules. Why? Well, I, I haven't even like, I haven't even touched the, the steering wheel yet, and yet I have like 10 million things I have to remember. But looking back on it, I realized that my dad cared about me enough to let me know how to properly drive before uh, I went off and did my own thing and potentially led to an accident. He wanted me to do my best in driving, and so he cared enough to bring those things up before I began. And this week, Jesus also cares a lot about us as well. And he's going to give us a list of don'ts, or the how not to's. But it's not in driving, it's more about how not to pray, how not to uh, approach the Father in prayer. 
Because you see, God deeply cares about our spiritual well-being. He cares about how we pray to him. And when we pray to God, he wants us to do it with the right motives. He wants us to do it with the right perspective. He wants us to do it without seeking glory for ourselves. Um, Last time we we spoke uh, in Matthew, Matt was speaking about giving and how we also are supposed to be giving with a proper motive. And so this kind of also falls in line with the right motives, but this time for prayer. Last time we saw in giving that he taught that we shouldn't be giving to be... Uh, making a spectacle for ourselves, or we shouldn't be giving so that other people notice our charitable actions. Rather, just give in secret without even letting your left hand know what your right hand's doing, not trying to be noticed. And in a similar sense, prayer should be the same thing. Um, He's letting us know that it's not for your glory. It's not to be seen. It's not to be noticed. Just as a parent would teach one of their kids how not to drive before letting them get behind a wheel, Jesus is teaching us how not to pray before he gives us an example or a model prayer of how we should pray to him in the coming verses. But like right off the bat, before we even look at the passage itself, I think it should be such an encouragement to us that God desires this closeness to us in prayer. He desires to hear our requests. He desires to hear the thankfulness that comes from our hearts about what's happening in our lives. He desires to hear us confess our sins. He desires to hear us when we're in a time of need. There is this open communication available to us at all times. I I just began um, this new job in Kaiser, Oakland, and there's some these senior, um, really higher up people who came by, and they they give them they give this speech about you know thank you for being part of this organization. We really look forward to it. You know, and if at any point you need to talk to me. Just come to my office, I'll always be there. But inevitably, that's not always true because they're not always there. They're not always available for you because they have other things to do. Uh, and even, <clears throat> even approaching them, you would have to find an appointment to schedule beforehand. Um, oftentimes, you have to talk with their secretary because they're not available. So even the request you had personally for them gets diverted to someone else. But here is God who is so much greater than any person or any higher up you could ever imagine meeting. And yet he is available 24-7 to hear our request, no matter how small, no matter how big, always ready and available to hear us. And and it's not just, oh, I can only pencil you in from 10 to 10, 15. It's I'm available to anyone at any time. Everyone can come at the same time praying and requesting things, and yet I will always be available. So that should be a real encouragement to us. And I think oftentimes we neglect to to realize the value of that, that we have our Father in heaven who is available anytime to us. We tend to think that, well, I'll only pray to God when I really need something or or when it's a really desperate time. Otherwise, I don't want to bother him with something. But that's not true. It says that we should pray without ceasing, as it says in 1 Thessalonians. God desires this regular communication with us. And uh, I think I've I've been guilty of of underestimating the, the power of prayer, that it is an incredible opportunity to lift these crests up and see God answer what we think is, you know, out of, out of reach or not possible. Remember that when you pray, <laughs> we're praying to the God who created every cell in your body. He is the one who sustains your very breath right now. He is the one who's giving you that heartbeat that you just experienced. He is the one who controls the waves and tells it how far it can go. He's the one who tells the sun where, when it will rise and when it will set. He is the one who holds this planet in orbit. He is the one who placed the stars in the sky. He is the one who sent his son to die 
for your very soul. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty, and yet he desires his daily relationship with you. And notice, too, that this section doesn't start off with, if you pray, then do such and such. Rather, it says, no, when you pray, this is how you're supposed to do it, meaning that this is an expectation for believers that we should be praying. It, shouldn't, it should be a regular part of the Christian life. It's not just for when times are difficult or hard, but rather all the time we should be praying. Coming before God is a regular part of our Christian life. And so it should be no surprise that Jesus says, when you pray. And then he goes on to explain how to do it. But before we look again at this passage, there's another encouragement. And it's not really found in this passage, but it's in a parallel passage in Luke. Where it says in Luke 11.1, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased that one of his disciples asked him, Lord, Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. I mean, think about this is the disciples, people who have been closely with the Lord for years, and yet they're asking him, teach us to pray. They, they, had, they also had difficulty understanding how to pray. They needed the Lord to instruct them, to remind them, how, how exactly am I supposed to structure my prayers? I remember when I first got saved, I would go to the Wednesday night prayer meetings and Oftentimes I would sit, you know, just stay in silence because I didn't know how to exactly pray or what to say or I didn't know if I was going to be praying the right way. And so I was more intimidated than anything else. And I think the disciples in many ways were not sure of what they should be saying. And so Jesus is going to give them an example of how to pray. But if you're not really sure if prayer is an abstract idea to you or you're not really sure how to pray or... Uh, you know, you still want to learn more than you're in the right place because Jesus is about to explain more first on how not to pray and then how to pray in the following weeks. So verse 5 in the passage we'll look at, it says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love standing in the synagogues and the street corners, or in the corner of the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. <clears throat> this word for hypocrite that he is using to describe the Pharisees comes from this idea of an actor, how in order to express the feelings that that person had, they would hold a big sign or a big, you know, mask, basically, that would project and most people far away could see that face. But oftentimes, you would see that that face, maybe it was a happy face, the person behind it maybe always wasn't happy, maybe they were sad. And it was contradicting what exactly they were supposed to be expressing with their mask. Or maybe it was a sad face, and yet they were really happy behind it. And it's really this, this idea of they're not really reflecting what the mass shows. Their outward appearance is a lot different than the inward experience that they're having. And the Pharisees, it's saying they were the hypocrites. They wanted the world to see that they were righteous externally, and yet internally they were corrupt. They were wicked. They were sinful people. They were hypocrites who would love to stand on the street corners and pray and let everyone know there's, that they're going on these lofty prayers. And so that people, when they pass by, they say, wow, look at that. That's a spiritual giant over there. Look at him. He's, just, he's, he's really in tune with the Lord right now. Wow, look at him. I wish I could pray like him. And that was exactly what they wanted. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted people to see them as these, you know, spiritual athletes, if you will. And they got, the, they got exactly what they wanted. They got the praise, the recognition. And yet we know that they were so far from being righteous. It was just that mass that they held up to be appearing as spiritual. 
But we know that the Lord could see right through that, and he saw it was a facade. He saw that they were not righteous. And so Jesus says, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't pray to be noticed or to be seen. Don't go on these long tangents of a prayer because you think that people will be impressed by it. If you're seeking the praise of men, if you're seeking for them to think of you as this spiritual person, then enjoy the reward that you have. Enjoy it because that's all you're going to get. God's saying that you're not going to get any reward when those are your motives for praying. If you're seeking to receive praise from mankind, enjoy it while it lasts because there's no more reward for you. Jesus also tells a parable in Luke 18 about this idea of appearing to be righteous. Um, And it's a parable you're very familiar with. Luke 18, 9 says, And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Maybe you haven't said this out loud, but have you ever been tempted to, to pray that way? Lord, thank you that I am me. Thank you that I am not like the other people. I look around, I see my coworkers, I see some of the other people in my life. I'm <laughs> thankful that I am you know, a standard above them. Thankful that I'm not quite um, as sinful as they are or as, as wicked as they are. I'm not like the extortioners in this world, the unjust, the pedophiles, the murderers, those kind of people. Thank you, Lord, that I am such a blessing compared to some of those people. Thank you that I'm not like the sinners around me. And you may have never said that out loud, but have you thought it in your heart, thinking that somehow you were almost above them or that you were more righteous than them? And I think it's a temptation that we have in our mind because oftentimes we don't think, or we think, I'm not as bad as her, or I'm not as bad as him. And the same way the Pharisee was, he He was thinking of all these wicked people in his life, and in the corner of his eye, he could see, you know, this tax collector. So he says, thank thank you, God, that I'm not like these extortioners, the unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Basically, he's highlighting that this tax collector is so much more wicked than he is. So thank you that I'm not anywhere close to that level of wickedness. And then he goes to pat himself on the back to just, you know, say, you know, not only am I not like him, I also have a credentials that I can prove. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Basically, I'm, I'm interested in showing you how righteous I am, and I want you to know that I'm very righteous, and here's my resume for it. He wanted to be known. He wanted to be seen as righteous when he prayed to God. And yet, if we look, it's completely different in the prayer of the tax collector. Completely different. The tax collector prayer goes like this. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you see there already the the difference? This tax collector couldn't even as much lift his eyes to heaven because he didn't want to be noticed. He didn't want to be seen. He wasn't there to pretend to be righteous. He didn't want people to notice him. In fact, he didn't even feel worthy to lift his eyes up to heaven because he was so devastated by the knowledge of his sin. And all he knew how to do was just beg for mercy and say, Lord, I am undeserving, but Lord, forgive me if you would be so merciful to do so. And the Bible tells us, and it's interesting that it tells us this, it says that the tax collector was the one who went to his house justified rather than the other. You see, the tax collector wasn't trusting in his own righteousness. 
He knew that there was no righteousness in himself. But he prayed to God anyways in an appeal for mercy. Not trying to put on this act and pretend that somehow he was righteous before God. He wasn't trying to be hypocritical. He wasn't trying to pretend to be outwardly righteous. Now you might think, well then, if God is saying that we shouldn't be praying to be seen, does that mean that I shouldn't ever pray publicly? Does that mean that, you know, we, we should just always pray to ourselves and that's it? No, that's not what it's saying. Uh, it's very clear that there's plenty of times where Jesus spoke publicly and he prayed publicly. There are times when his disciples did that. There are numerous people all throughout the church age who have prayed publicly. And the Lord doesn't forbid praying publicly. The point is not so much where we pray, but rather why do we pray? Is it that we pray to impress other people with our prayers? I remember one time I went to a Christian concert and between songs, it was not unusual for them to pray, uh, you know, maybe a, a short prayer, just maybe to start the night. But there was one time I remember the guy, he started off on his prayer and it was, you know, very nice. And then you thought he was about to end the prayer and then he kept going, but he wasn't really adding anything new to the prayer. He just kept saying the same thing, but with like new uh, verbiage, or he was just using synonyms of the same thing he said before. And then you look at your watch and you're saying, wow, it's three minutes already. And then keeps praying and it's, it's been five minutes. And sure enough, it went on for seven minutes. And you're like, you know, what, what, what more did he say actually from the first 30 seconds he started that prayer? And he just kept going on and on about the prayer. And at the end of it, you know, he begins clapping for himself and everyone else claps for him. Um, and it wasn't a praise to the Lord. It was more a praise for how well he just prayed. And you saw people, I heard some chattering next to me, like, wow, look at that. Look at that prayer. I wish I could pray like that. Wow, look at him, man. If I could be like him. And you realize that I don't know his motives, but was he praying to be seen and noticed by man? Was he praying really with the sole direction of just speaking to the Lord? Or was he speaking so that other people would be somewhat impressed by what he said? And when we pray, we should not be like that. We shouldn't be praying publicly for the hopes of claps and applauds from men. I remember even in times in the past where I was asked to pray in front of a large group of people. And in order to sound maybe more spiritual, more godly, I decided to go on for a longer prayer than I normally would have. But if I was honest with myself, I realized I wasn't really using that time just to speak with the Lord and what I had to say to him, but rather I was kind of also taking into account the other people who would hear my prayer. And I was thinking, you know, I wonder what they think of what I'm saying right now to the Lord, rather than just being interested in what the Lord was hearing. And um, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's ever experienced this. And if you think about it, when we do pray, oftentimes we pray differently when we speak in front of an audience than we would if we just spoke directly to the Lord. And I have to ask myself, why is that? Is it because I'm trying to impress you or is it because I'm praying just to the Lord and, and for him as, a, as an audience of one? So uh, just, just think about your own prayer life. What is your motive for praying? Why do you pray? Is it for other people or is it for just the Lord himself? Verse 6 says, But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So basically here, Jesus is saying, instead of, you know, praying to be seen, go somewhere secluded. Go somewhere where you have no one there to impress. Go where 
You can spend time alone, one-on-one with your father. Notice also the word father. Um, As Christians, we have God as our father. This would be a revolutionary idea for a Jew at the time to hear this, that God is your father. Because they knew God as an almighty, all-powerful God. They knew that he was holy. They knew he was perfect. But they also knew that there was really no entrance or no access to God. There was a veil that separated the holy from the Holy of Holies. And there was only a priest who can go in only on a certain day of the year. And it was this kind of almost distance between them. And it was kind of obscure to think that we could have this intimate relationship and call him our father. To say that basically the word means daddy. I can call him that. That would be so obscure to hear. And yet they say that, or Jesus says here, that he is our father. The one who we used to be at odds with. The one who we used to be enemies towards. We are no longer enemies with him. Instead, he is now our loving father. Our father who desires to hear our requests, to hear our prayers. It really emphasizes the closeness as children of God that we have with our father. Who controls everything and knows everything and yet still likes or still desires to hear us pray. And some would take this to an extreme and say, okay, there you go. So first of all, when we pray, we have to first shut our door. Otherwise, it doesn't count. We have to make sure we're alone in that room. Uh, hands folded, knees bowed, otherwise your prayer doesn't count. And um, it makes me think about at work, we, we also had a, 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 basically a speech told to us about how we are supposed to uh, approach meeting our patient for the first time and how when we come, we have to stand at equilateral distance from the other nurse, introduce ourselves, go through a certain script of what we're supposed to say, and that's the only right way of doing it. And yet, that's so unnormal, unnatural, It doesn't at all prove that that's the right way of doing it. And Jesus is saying, I'm not giving you a list of rules of what you're supposed to do. The idea is, I'm not putting regulations on it. I'm saying, when you're there, don't, if you're alone in a room, you're not going to be there to impress other people. You're not trying to be there to show anyone else that you're some spiritual giant. But you could also be praying in your car. You could pray in your cubicle. You could pray on a walk by yourself. The point is not really where you pray, but your motive for praying again. Is it because you hope that other people will see you, or are you just genuinely motivated by seeking God's will in whatever circumstance in life, regardless of anyone else's around you? And also, interestingly enough, God promises a reward to those who pray in secret. Those who pray without trying to be noticed, God says that... Um, He'll reward those who pray in secret. He'll openly reward them. And it's not a reward of applause of men that just fades away after you pass away from this earth. It's a reward that has eternal value. It doesn't rust or decay. It goes beyond our time on earth. It's an eternal treasure. So realize that that's also a thing that God offers to us when we pray with the right motives, that he'll openly reward us. In verse 7, Jesus then addresses the next example of how we are not to pray. It says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. And I think the main reason why Jesus put this in here is because he's about to give us an example of how to pray. He's about to give us an example in verses 9 through 15 of what you are to say to your father. It's a model. It's an example. But a lot of well-meaning Christians have taken what Jesus is just about to say 
and they repeat it as if it is this chant, it's this, this, this thing that has to be said over and over again, and that's the only right way of praying. And oftentimes, it just rolls off their tongue as if they're on autopilot, and they just say, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, I know what it says in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and give us not. And they just say it over and over again as if it's just, you know, this repetitive thing. And there's even um, uh, churches that have pre-written prayers that you would say and out loud, and they just echo it back. But the thing is, is that a lot of the people echoing back the prayer, they're just repeating it because everyone else is doing it. But their heart really isn't behind what they're saying. It's just they're saying it for the sake of saying it. And Jesus says, don't use these vain or these empty phrases or these empty repetitions if you truly don't mean what you're saying. Um, there's other people. I have um, some Catholic friends who um, they tell me that when they sin or when they disobey, they have to go to the priest, and the priest will then tell them they have to do an X amount of you know, prayers that they have to say, and it's just they have to repeat this prayer five or six times in order that God will forgive them, or so they think God will forgive them. Um, and so it's just these empty phrases, and Jesus says, no, enough with all these empty phrases. Enough with these over-repetitions that mean nothing, that you're just saying to check a box. When you pray, mean what you say. When you pray, Use words that you deeply mean from your heart that come from how you truly feel. Don't use these cookie-cutter prayers that, you know, you think that will be heard. Obviously, God's not forbidding long prayers. If you have a lot to say to the Lord, absolutely pray to him as long as you need. It's not a limitation on how long it can be or can't be. The idea is just don't use these empty phrases thinking that if I go on for 10 minutes, God will hear me more than if he hears me for praying for three minutes. It's not true. There was, um, there was a preacher who was growing up, and his family taught him uh, at an early age how they're supposed to be praying for their meal. And so because, you know, he was only three when he started, they taught him a simple prayer. They said, fold your hands, bow your heads, and said, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. And they would just kind of rotate the kids, and each time <clears throat> they would say, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. And they say amen. And that was kind of what he learned as he grew up. And that was his really the only way they taught him how to pray as far as um, his childhood. And when he was 14, <clears throat> he began working at Publix, which is a grocery store on the East Coast. And um, he was a bagger there. And as a bagger there, he, you know, he, he'd take the bags out to the trunk. And then their greeting they were supposed to give was, you know, thank you for shopping at Publix. Please come again. And then he would go back to the cashier, help load up the bags, take it back to the, um, to the car, and then said, thank you for shopping at Publix, please come again. And it became so repetitive for him that it was just kind of on autopilot, just going on with these phrases. And you can probably guess what happened to him, but he was taking one night, or one day, he was helping a lady out to his car, and you know, she, she you know, closed the trunk and put all the bags in, and she says, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. And she was like, uh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, and she was kind of confused as to why this religious fanatic was just blessing her food for her. And uh, he realized, though, that at the time, it was this empty phrase that he had been using when he prayed. And, and the phrase he worked, used at work was just this empty phrase he said. It didn't really mean anything. And so when he got the chip switched, he kind of realized, wow, I'd, I'd just say that without meaning it. And the idea is that we should also examine what we say in prayer. Are we using phrases that we just roll off our tongue and say, what did I even say? What, what did I even mean when I said that? Um, 
avoid using phrases that don't mean anything to you. Um, Verse 8 then says, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Oftentimes in prayer, we use a list, or we have a list, I guess, of the things that we need. Uh, We say, Lord, I need wisdom for my future. Lord, I need wisdom for raising children. Lord, I need wisdom in deciding which uh, person to marry. Lord, I need wisdom in a difficult situation that I'm experiencing. Lord, I need help in a trial. Lord, I need help uh, financially. Lord, I'm, I'm looking for a job right now. Please help me with that. Lord, I'm, um, I'm, I'm sick right now. I need you to heal me. And it's good that we have a list of things that we can, or requests that we can bring before the Lord. Um, oftentimes we even pray for unsaved people. The list could go on, though. Um, but Jesus says that we are not to pray thinking that when we pray, that we are somehow informing God of these needs. And uh, it's very clear in the Bible that the Father knows exactly what our needs are before we even ask him. And yet oftentimes people will pray like this, God, I'm not sure if you know this, but I'm going through a really difficult time right now. And if you would just focus your attention on me right now, I really could use some help here. Lord, I'm not sure if you know this, but Jim's sick right now, and I would just pray that if you could just see that in his life right now, he also needs help in this trial that he's going through. I'm not sure if you're aware, but Lord, please, could you help him? Or say, Lord, I'm not sure um, if you know this, but um, you know, Luke's sick again, and could you heal Luke if, if you have the time to remember that? And it's how ridiculous is that? This is our Father in heaven. He knows all things. He creates all things. He sees all things. And yet we pray to him as if he doesn't know what we're about to pray to him. And yet, the question then would then come up is then, okay, well, if God already knows what I'm thinking, knows what I'm about to pray, if he knows all these needs, then why do we even pray in the first place if he already knows these things? And the, the most helpful answer I guess I could give you is it helps us to remember our need or our dependency upon him when we pray. I think it's the exact same reason why um, when you have children, I don't have children, but I see children, and you have parents, and you have them continually ask for things in your life. For example, you ask, a child is reminded to ask for things like, hey, mom, I really want to go out with my friends tonight. Can you uh, give me um, some money to help pay for the movie ticket tonight? Or, hey, um, I need new clothes. Could you mind picking up some, some new pants at the store? Or, hey, I need a Christmas gift coming up this week. Uh, could you pick this up for me? Or, hey, I need uh, food from the grocery. If you're going to go down there, could you, would you mind picking up you know, a jar of um, peanut butter or whatever? Uh, hey, I, I, need, I need whatever. And, it, and the idea is that the child is reminded when they ask that they are not self-sufficient. They're reminded that they cannot support themselves on their own. And so what most people do is, is when, um, for example, if you go down to like the park, the child is reminded each time that if they want an ice cream pill, they have to ask, Mom, Dad, can you go buy me from the ice cream truck that ice cream? It's continually being reminded that their dependency is upon their father or their mother. In the same way, we are not dependent on ourselves. Our Father in heaven gives us everything that we have. He gives us all of our needs We are fully dependent upon him to provide our needs. 
Jesus tells us that he is the giver of all good things. Matthew uh, 7 says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And Jesus is saying, look, you and I, we know how to give good gifts. Come Christmas, you'll get what your child probably wanted. You'll give them the things that they need to satisfy their needs. How much more then is a holy and righteous God who is in heaven, who is our Father, able to give us all things that we ask of him? James also reminds us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And I think that the most important thing to stress is that we pray because we need to realize and be reminded of our dependency upon God. We must never think that somehow I am self-sufficient. And we should constantly be reminded upon our dependency upon him. I mean, think about what you have today. Who gave you the clothes on your back? Who just gave you the food in your stomach? Who gave you, you know, uh, the car that you used to get here? And you say, well, I did. I, I bought it with my own money. Well, who, who gave you that money? Well, my job did. Well, who gave you that job? Who gave you the means to interview for that? Who gave you the heartbeat that you had? Who gave you the legs that you needed to do to walk to there? God gave you all those things. So we must never think that somehow that we are self-sufficient, that we can provide our own things. Everything comes from God. It's our Father in heaven who gives us all good things. And when we pray to him, we realize that he knows our needs before we even ask him. But we also realize that we pray to him because we cannot support ourselves. And so we need to live continually in remembrance of our dependency upon him in every aspect of life. And so this week is the part one of a two-part series, like I said. This week we're learning how not to pray. And in two weeks from now, Jesus is going to explain to us how to pray and the model that he gives as a demonstration. So let's just pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us through it how we should pray and how we should not pray. Lord, thank you for elaborating on the the pitfalls that we have oftentimes when it comes to prayer. I pray, Lord, that we would use this to apply to our daily lives and and in our prayer lives as well. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.